Good morning. Did you know that the most important thing about you is that God loves you? He loved you to the cross and back. And part of his great love is that he gives you a life that matters. You never have to wonder, do I matter? Do I count? You are number one in God's book. And he gives you opportunities every day to live a life beyond yourself. I like to call it a legacy life. This is Sue Donaldson. As you listen today, ask God, show me how to spend today investing in people and your word, because both last forever. There's no better way to live. Good morning. Today, we get to introduce you to my new friend, Whitney Aiken. She is from Georgia. She's a mother of three and author of a great book. When did this book come out, Whitney? I forgot to ask you. It came out in April of this year. Okay. And it's called Overlooked, Finding Your Worth When You Feel All Alone. Here's a copy right here. And we will be giving uh, away a copy. You might want to buy one for yourself and one for a friend who feels overlooked. And you know what? I think we need, we'll get into this perhaps, but some people don't even know they're feeling overlooked. They just don't, they feel sad and they're not sure why. And uh, maybe we'll get into that. But tell us first a little bit about yourself. Uh, Well, like you said, I'm a mom to three little kids. They are nine, seven, and four, and I homeschool them. So uh, right now it's quiet in my house because they're not here, but usually it's not quiet ever. Um, (laughs) I'm married to my husband. We've been married for 15 years. Um, We run a nonprofit ministry together, an outreach ministry. We go around the Atlanta area and um, serve people free meals and share the gospel with them and meet them where they are in their communities and invite them um, into relationship with the Lord into the local church. So I spend a lot of time serving alongside him. And then I'm also an author, as you mentioned, and a speaker for women's events. And I really love teaching God's word. That's a passion of mine and um, encouraging women. So do you provide the meals for the people? You make the meals for the people that you outreach? Wow. Wow. By yourself? Yeah, so my husband has, oh, I don't really do it. My husband does it, but yes. Um, so we have supporters who support us financially, and we are able through their support to provide these meals for free to the community. And so my husband has a barbecue food truck. He's, he's actually doing it right now. He slow smokes barbecue for hours and hours and hours. And then, um, for instance, tomorrow we'll go into a local <clears throat> Um, inner city area where there's a lot of homeless people and we'll feed them a really nice barbecue plate and we'll hand it to them completely for free. And it's a great opportunity. People will show up for food. So it's a great opportunity for us to say, well, this is a picture of the gospel and then open a conversation with them. What's it called? What's your ministry called? It's called M25 Barbecue, M for Matthew 25, which is the verse that says, for I was hungry and you fed me. Um, I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. What was that reference again, Matthew what? Matthew. It's Matthew 25. Okay. Wow. That's 25. great. So if someone wanted to donate just from hearing this short little synopsis, um, could you give me a link later that I can put in the show notes? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We have a website and they can find out more information about it there too. Okay. And again, the name of it. It's M25 barbecue. Wow. And does he play music then when he gives out the food? <laughs> he does play it on a speaker, but not with his own many guitars that are hanging out, yeah. out in the background. He once was in music ministry and God <clears> led <throat> him into this. And now he 
wow. uh, helps lead worship at our church and and does this full time. And so that's a paid position at your church. So that's another way of a stream of income for you. Actually, no, he's just a volunteer. He just loves to wow. do it. Wow. Amazing. Um, I love your book topic, feeling overlooked or overlooked, finding your worth when you feel all alone. Loneliness is one of my favorite topics, just like shame is one of Brene Brown's favorite topics. <clears throat> because I feel like I do uh, hospitality and building community mainly because of loneliness, not just um, with non-believers, but believers as well, as you know, can sit in a pew and feel overlooked and lonely and wonder why everybody else seems to be having more friends. So it, <clears throat> I would say it was the main reason that I do hospitality besides showing off God's welcoming heart. So thank you for writing this. Um, we are a different personality and we have different ways that God has grown us, but I have certainly been lonely. And even as an extreme um, screaming redheaded uh, extrovert, I have felt overlooked. And so I'm anxious to get into this story. And for those of you listening, just take, take good notes in your head or your heart as you're jogging or walking or folding laundry and think about um, how God can meet you in your loneliness and perhaps who else needs to hear this story. Would you please share this podcast with them? Um, <clears throat> now, did you write this because of COVID and all the isolation that came from that? Oh, that's a good question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um, I did write the proposal during COVID, but no, I think that this was something I've always felt. Um, COVID, <laughs> I did feel lonely in COVID, but I'm such an introvert. It really was somewhat in some ways a relief to be at home all the time. My husband um, felt I, the same. My husband felt the same. It was like, Oh, good. No company. <laughs> um, so I think, no, I think more of this came out of just, um, like you said, being in a room full of people and yet feeling alone is more of my experience of loneliness and being overlooked than being actually alone. Mm -hmm. That's a great title. Um, you wrote this line, feeling unseen translated into se severe self-consciousness and insecurity. Explain this next line a little bit for us. It felt safer to hide the good for fear of others noticing the bad. What do you mean by that? <clears throat> yeah, I think a lot of people have different reactions to feeling overlooked. Um, sometimes it's to try to get more attention. Sometimes it's to cling to people that make us feel seen and safe. For me, um, struggling with this feeling as a very shy child, struggling through relationships in school with mean kids, struggling through never feeling like I was the best or picked to be the best. My sort of reaction was, well, I think the safest thing then is to just hide as far into myself as I can so that if I'm never noticed, if I don't ever speak up, if I don't ever make myself noticeable to others, then I'll have less of a chance of being ridiculed or misunderstood or hurt. Um, and so I will just hide. That was my safety mechanism. And I did that for a really long time and just kind of become the smallest version of myself possible um, because then maybe I wouldn't be hurt by other people. It's kind of like a risk in any relationship, or even if you're in a Sunday school class or a Bible study and someone asks a question and you know the answer, but um, for me, it might be, oh, I've talked too much, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut, but also I might have the wrong answer and then feel, even though someone else may not feel like you're stupid, you feel like you're stupid. So a lot of it has to do with self-perception. -perc mm -hmm. Now, this question I had as I read your book, you were raised mm -hmm. as a believer in the church probably singing a version of Jesus loves me, this I know. 
Um, so why did you think something was missing that you thought others had? I mean, you grew up knowing Jesus died on the cross for your sins. So I was just curious. Well, I think there's a long distance, as they say, from the head to the heart. And I think sometimes we can know something our whole life without actually knowing it deeply in our soul. And so I think knowing, I think for a very long time, I believed, of course, God loves people but maybe he doesn't love me like he loves them. Or um, maybe I'm not as lovable as they are. Maybe I'm not usable by him. He could use that amazing person, but I'm not sure he can use me. Um, and so for me, it was uh, the difference between knowing and experiencing that reality for myself um, in my heart. And for me, that sort of uh, got began a journey of that, um, really ministering that to me through his word his love for me, um, and really getting that from my head into my heart, which I think is, I think through his word is the best way we can do that through intimacy with him. Hmm. I think it is the best way that we can, but it's often it's an experience that we go through that brings it to the head. I know in college, I went through <clears throat> an extreme doubting period at a Christian college. So it had nothing to do with the college. I don't know what it had to do with, but it was God's way of experience of having a um you just disappeared but we can you hear me yes okay, okay. i was just listening to you and it was <laughs> anyway um hopefully that won't happen again but the yes. whole idea was that that was such a traumatic event that i thought okay do i believe in god or not and for you you had a traumatic mm -hmm. event i uh um mm -hmm. what was that turning point where you said, look, I am seen by God and I am worthwhile and I don't need to worry so much about what other people think of me. Hmm. Yeah, I think the traumatic event you're referring to is infertility, um, a season that I sort of entered into unknowingly um, in my mid-20s. And I, I entered in, just like you said, a person who'd grown up in church. I was like very much secure in my faith. I was, um, I felt like very black and white. <clears throat> what I understood about the Lord. And then in infertility, it was like the table got pulled out from under me or the chair and I just fell on my face and everything I thought I knew, I feel like God broke down and, um, I questioned everything. Um, and I was just, you know, staring at the reality of God, not solving my problem and me praying and him not giving me a yes and, and really coming to terms with what was I going to do with him in this situation that I didn't want to be in. And so um, God really began to rebuild my faith, uh, not in the thing I wanted, which was a child, which I thought would bring me fulfillment and make me happy, but really building my <clears throat> faith upon his character and who he is and um, who he was with me personally. And so I think after walking through that very long season, I mean, it was only three years. It felt like an eternity. I feel sure. like three years of infertility is nothing um, compared to most people. Um, but after walking through that and God rebuilding that in me, I think that that was the moment where God began to um, pull me out of this place of like <clears throat> hiding and unavailable for anyone to, you need to meet other people where they are in this because um, you can't just live your life anymore 
in the shadows, there are other people struggling like you are and you need to reach out to them. And at the time, my husband was in music ministry and we would travel to churches and we had a big family ministry. And so I felt this great conviction because we would get up with our family and all the kids and, um, and it looked so perfect. And I thought, I can't do this. I can't sit here and act like this family is perfect when there's somebody sitting in that pew and they're hurting like I was. And so um, I just began to get up and share my testimony in this very, you know, um, imperfect way. And I think that was just the beginning of stepping out of that shell and stepping into a willingness and an obedience. Um, and it grew into much, much more that God had for me. Uh, someone said something the other day that was uh, slightly convicting to me. Like, do we feel like we're entitled to a good life as believers? Mm -hmm. And there are many, many scripture verses that could support that in that, you know, God shows his favor and blessing to those who are obedient. You know, if we abide in the vine, there will be fruit. And yet it was convicting to me, Whitney, because I thought, well, God's answers to all my prayers may not be the way I'm asking for them to be answered. Even though he tells us to keep knocking on the door and gives us lots of parables, I'm praying desperately for lots of things right now, and they're not happening on my time frame. And it does. I love the, the sentence you just gave that, what am I going to do with my faith when my prayers aren't answered? Basically, that is what you said, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And what yeah, am I going to do in obedience? Yeah. yeah. And what am I going to do as far as being obedient? I like this quote, being seen is a moment, but living seen is a lifestyle is, <clears throat> first of all, define living seen. Yeah. So in living scene, I, I sort of define it as taking the knowledge that we've taken from our head to our heart, that God loves us, that he sees us. Um, and living in that truth. And so every time we see in the Bible, God encounters someone in this, you know, usually in the Bible, it's very dramatic, like it's the burning bush or it's Hagar in the wilderness. Um, it's not often that dramatic in our own lives, but yeah. every time we see that in the Bible, we see this huge transformation happen in their lives. Hmm. And so what is the transformation in our lives living in the truth that God sees us? And so that's what, in the book, I identify several different character traits that happen and should be developed in our life. And that's what I call living scene. Mm, no. Yeah. That's worth the book right there, that section. Um, but uh, I have a question for you. Is there ever a time even now uh, when you don't live seen or you don't feel seen by God? Are you just like that was healed? That's in the past. I have no problem. Uh, definitely live feeling overlooked still <laughs> release a book on feeling overlooked and see how overlooked you feel <laughs> in the process <laughs> of being vulnerable yeah. and sharing your heart, putting something mm. really personal into the world. And so I actually have had to take the theory of this book and test it many, many times in my yeah. own personal life and go, I, I appreciate that this. honesty. I appreciate it. Cause you know, people who publish <laughs> books, other people look at them and say, well, they've got it all together. And obviously we don't. Yeah. And if we think we do, God trips us up and in a good way. Um, how does social media add to our insecurity and anxiety more than ever before? 
uh, in the book, I talk about our need for attention and mm-hmm. I talk about um, that interesting. It's how it's, it's uh, <clears throat> not necessarily a bad thing, though we think of it as a bad thing usually, but it is a need that we have as, as humanity. And because we have this need, we're looking for it. We're looking to fulfill it, right? And we're usually looking for it in negative ways, ways that are not always healthy for us. And I think social media plays into this because it's a tool that allows us to garner more attention than any tool ever in the history of humanity. And, and it's, I think it's very dangerous for humanity and I think it's very seductive. So we keep coming back to it because we want to see other people and we want to be seen by other people. Mm -hmm. And it's really touching, not just on like an entertainment factor, but on like a deep human need and a pain point we have as humanity. And so um, I think that we're often using it in place of healthy attention, mm-hmm. which I, of course, as a Christian, I argue comes from the Lord. Um, and so we're looking for our worth and our um, value on Instagram instead of um, where it really needs to come from. And so social media, and then, you know, it's, everything's quantified, right? So you have numbers beside everything you do. You could go right now and I, you know, look for numbers on me and there'd be a whole page of numbers about who I am as a person, even though that really doesn't define me at all. And I think quantifying everything is really difficult. I think it's hard on a human heart. I don't know that humanity was meant to be quantified in everything that we Mm -hmm. do. And so, I mean, it really can play into this game of comparison and insecurity. And although we can be seen on social media, it means that we can also be very overlooked. Yeah, so many, so many good thoughts in that. Um, I like to say it's best not to take yourself too seriously. And um, I think God can use me more when I don't take myself seriously. And yet I can think, wow, God's using her in this way. How come he's not using me, which is so silly. And I should be, I mean, I'm 71. I shouldn't even be thinking in those terms. But there are times where I go, oh, I I ask the Lord, please catch me whenever I do that. Because it is seductive. Like you said, it's a great word for it. It's seductive. And yet we're expected, especially as Christian authors and speakers, to get a certain number of quantifiable numbers. And, um, and, you know, I don't have the blue check by my name. So does that mean God loves me any less? No. But sometimes we have to give ourselves some good self-talk. A gal said the other night who works with junior hires, she said in the old days, uh, people would only get bullied at school. And nowadays the kids go home and they're bullied 24-7 because of their telephones. And so, of course, that feeds their insecurity. Uh, you mentioned that a human being's need for attention is not only emotional and biological, but also spiritual. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, as I researched for the book, I found out that attention was a biological need, which I don't know if that's something most people know. I didn't know that before I wrote this book. I was really surprised by that. Um, Psychologists define it as a need humanity has. And, um, And so I thought, you know, if that's true... If we've been created with a need, then we have a creator that did that on purpose to fulfill it. And so um, it's spiritual in a sense that if we need attention, we can't just go like we might need sleep. We can't just go get a good night's sleep or we can't just go eat a good meal to solve our hunger. Where do we go to fulfill this need that we have? And um, I believe I take it back to the creation narrative that when we were created, right, when Adam and Eve were created, God, the first thing God said is, Um, he saw everything that he had made. So he gave them attention, right? And he said, you are very good. And he gave them approval. And that was this beautiful connection of like living in perfect attention and approval of their father. And of course that was broken in the fall. And I think it's been so convoluted um, for most of humanity since then. I think perfect attention and approval 
spiritual um, is spiritual because it is met in our father. So we live in a world that says more eyes is better, but mm. really what we need are the father's eyes. And mm. that's, of course, it's great to have the attention and approval of others, but it should be sort of what's built on the foundation of God fulfilling that need in our lives first. I'm writing this down. Um, what are some steps to living seeing for someone today listening who feels a little overlooked, whether it's in church or at work or even in their own family, you can feel lonely in a marriage or as a sibling or as a, a son or daughter. Um, and you feel like, wow, they always got mom and dad's best attention. I mean, I know adults who still feel that way. How can, you know, maybe their folks are dead, so they can't go back and even um, work it through with a therapist, but um, how can they begin? What are some steps that they can start today to feel seen and loved by God? Because that makes it so that we are never overlooked. Yeah, I think um, going back to scripture and understanding the character of God is really helpful. So understanding that God is El Roy, the God who sees, we know that from Genesis 16. And his character then is that um, he he's omniscient, right? He knows everything always, and he's omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once. And so by his character trait, he actually cannot overlook us. Hmm. Um, and also, um, just in the book, I kind of give people an opportunity to remind themselves of who they are in Christ, because I know that even kind of getting to a place where I feel like I know that more, I still fall behind on that. I still get confused on that. And so um, I talk about three different things, the perspective, the purpose, and the position that they have in Christ. And um, so I think it's really helpful to just remind yourselves um, that even when the world disqualifies us or people disqualify us, or ultimately I think it's the enemy, right. Who disqualifies right. us right. that um, we are actually not disqualified because God has um, created us, right. He's put us here for a purpose and kind of changing our perspective <clears throat> from, I need to be the one on the sidelines to get to people have always said I am um, to God has a purpose for my life is a powerful thing. Um, and then to, to walk in that purpose, to realize that God, really God created every person for a kingdom work. Mm. And that looks totally different for everybody, yeah. but there's nobody who's unusable and there's nobody who needs um, to feel like I <clears throat> used to feel that, um, that I was just totally unqualified to be used by God. Mm. Um, and then to remember their position that God loves them, not because of who someone said they were or because they had great friends or because they have a lot of stuff or because they have so many followers. God loves them because God loves them because he's God and and they have value and they have <clears throat> worth, not because someone else gave it to them, but because God assigned it to them through Jesus on the cross hmm. and nobody can take that away from us. And sometimes we just need to remind ourselves. Of that. Yes, we do. Um, you use the phrase uh, looking at God made a transformation in your life. Don't you feel like sometimes someone might <clears throat> look at God and finally put their eyes on God, but find out that, but feel like God's eyes are shut towards them? Yeah. What would you say to counsel them? I would say uh, it feels that way a lot, but we know in scripture um, that that's not who God is, right? Because if he always, 
I mean, Psalm 139, we love that. I think we love that Psalm a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and if you go back, if you really read it through the character of God, right? It's saying God knows everything you ever do, right? He sees when you get up, when you lie down, he knows what you're thinking. He knows your words and he's everywhere all the time. Mm-hmm. So there's, you could go literally make your bed in hell and he's there is what it says. And so there's nowhere that God does not know and God is not with you, even though you might feel that way often. And so I think sometimes we have to train ourselves to go, okay, this is true about God, even if I don't <clears throat> feel like it's true about God, because I trust the scripture is true. Um, yeah. And then there's the other reality for people who look at to God and um, are sort of terrified that God sees everything. That might not be a very comforting idea. And so um, it's not always a beautiful thing to be like, God sees me. There's a lot of facets to that, uh, as you just touched on. So. Mm-hmm. so true. And for me, it's a great comfort because he already knows how awful I am. And yet he's never said, I'm going to turn my back on Sue Donaldson, even though um, she deserves it. And so when, talk, when you talk about entitled good living, maybe we are we are entitled to hell. For hell, and yet God, in His great mercy and grace, has said He loves us anyway through His Son Jesus Christ. How much of what you talk about is our insecure, our insecurity and anxiety tied to our temperament? You touch on that briefly in your book, um, or how we were raised. I know somebody who could be an extrovert like me, but be raised by horrible in a horrible situation where they're always put down. And so then they would always be looking at themselves when they come into a social situation and they are preoccupied with self because they're so terribly insecure or an incredibly shy person, uh, extreme introvert. I think we can grow out of our shyness just because of, of maturity. Um, I'm trying to get where my question was going with this, but I guess how much is it has to do with our temperament versus just not taking God at his word? Yeah, that's an interesting question. When I started writing this book, I thought it had everything to do with temperament. I was pretty sure that this book would only be for people like me. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was raised by wonderful people. My home life was awesome. In fact, that was sort of my safe place. And anything negative that I experienced would have been you know, in, in struggling to fit in, which really is just what most kids go through. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, as I have talked to more and more people, I think that I would say that that opinion when I first started writing has sort of expanded and changed because I have just heard so many, um, different stories of why number one, why people feel overlooked and usually overlooked translates into those feelings of struggling with self-consciousness or insecurity or just feeling, um, alone. And uh, all types of people, all ages, all demographics. Um, and so I've been pretty surprised at how far reaching it is. It's not just for someone like me who was the very shy girl and as, as definitely an introvert. Um, and so I think, of course, it, everything we in life can come back to how we were raised or the environment that we were in that certainly affects it. I think a lot of it though, has to do with our perspective on ourselves and on God's word. And I think the good thing about that is that even if the way we were raised has sort of molded us to feel more insecure, that there is opportunity to come out of that because of the truths of God's word. Absolutely. And um, it's real transformative for me. I heard in a women's Bible study a long time ago was if you are self-conscious and self low self-esteem and self-deprecating and all these things, 
you might think you're being humble, um, but really you just have a lot of pride. It's just negative pride because the one common denominator is self. Right. And that was so convicting for me at the time. And um, it really, it, it really brought me to consider because I was all of those things. And I thought that just made me sort of a humble, you know, person. And no, it actually made me a person with a lot of negative self-pride. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely that negative part of it. I think C.S. Lewis said something about that as well. Uh, it's not just, a pride is not just a matter of not thinking about yourself um, or how bad you are or whatever. It's not thinking about yourself at all. Um, but if I would just say, well, I'm just going to memorize uh, Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain, uh, boast only in the name of God. If I would just say those words every day as a mantra, is that going to heal me of feeling overlooked? Is there a formula? I don't, I don't know if there's a formula. I think, um, I think scripture absolutely can transform us and repeating scripture of our hearts does transform us. I think intimacy with Christ is one of the big, um, parts of this journey too is um if if we're going out into a world that's so self-promoting and sort of dog eat dog that we live in we we need to be close to jesus if we want to be seen by him we need to have a relationship with him and a lot of us are not walking in that place of intimacy and that's really important to feel seen um but i'm not sure there's a secret formula to it. i think it's a, a work that god does in our hearts but i do think i'm like for me when i was really struggling to know god loved me for instance I read Psalm 139 till I could memorize it. And, you know, for whatever reason, that chapter was really transformative for me and realizing, mm -hmm. okay, God really does love me um, and getting it into my heart. And so, um, yeah, maybe God does use scriptures to transform that. And I do think it's also a, um, a choice that we make to remind ourselves of truths over and over and over, even if it's not specific scripture truths, but hey, God sees me. God loves me. Um, I'm not, not overlooked because it's in his character not to overlook me um, and, and repeating that to ourselves. I agree. And I think, um, I think it's just one more aspect of God's love for us that you would choose Psalm 139. I might choose Psalm 7325. Someone else might choose Matthew uh, or John 15, um, Matthew 6, it's like the word is so individual for us, and yet the truths transform over anybody's life in any culture. Uh, it's not just, you know, Americans. Uh, it's people who feel that they are not worthy, like you said earlier, or they don't have purpose. God provides the purpose. Oops, you, you went away again. Do you hear me now? Yeah. Um, I do, I do. I was listening to your reply. Yeah, great. And I just think that God is so, he keeps reminding us. I mean, that old classic, The Purpose Driven Life by what's his name, Rick Warren. You know, people need to know they have purpose so that, it, number one, that they don't go fill their lives with things that don't last. That's what this podcast is about, living a legacy life. In fact, let's go into those questions. Um, oh, I wanted to ask you one question. Do you have a companion study guide for your book? I do. It's nothing fancy. It's just, a, a, I have some videos and a little downloadable guide. If anyone's interested, they would have to contact me about that and um, that sort of go along a six week uh, companion for it. That'd be great. And do you have a website? <clears throat> I do. Yeah. It's just WhitneyAiken.com. Okay. Okay. We'll be sure to put that in. Cause I think this would be a great 
a book with friends that you feel safe with, that you could talk about these things in a very vulnerable way. And it's mm -hmm. great to have a study guide. Um, what legacy do you want to make sure that you are passing down right now? Yeah, so I have two daughters. And so I think that this message um, has really made me think about how I'm going to talk to them about the world we live in and social media. And uh, my, my nine-year-old daughter already has uh, come to me in tears about friends, you know, and struggles that she's had. And my first response is to want to escape <clears throat> her out of that and sort of fix the whole situation. But instead, I'm learning to remind her um, not just that she's so wonderful and great, but that God, how God views her. And I think um, leading our children, our sons and daughters to who they are in Christ and that their worth comes there first is going to be a really important legacy to leave behind in a social media generation. And um, also teaching our children to be the ones who see others well. Um, because I think that that's a skill that's dying. And I think it's really powerful to be the one who can see others well when they feel overlooked. I think that when we've been hurt by the same thing, it makes us more aware of that lonely person, you know? And so um, the fact that your nine-year-old came to you and in tears, then you it's such a great learning situation as hard as it is as a mom to see your kid in tears, to say, you know what, you're going to be so much more compassionate. You don't even have to use that big word. You're going to look out for someone else who also is hurting. I mean, I see that even with my adult children, because uh, things aren't perfect for them. And, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not always the time to preach to them, you know, because they are adults. For me to say, you know, God's going to really use this in someone else's life because of what you're struggling with. I might tell them that after they feel better, but not at the time. So um, this probably is already answered, but what challenges or obstacles did you have to overcome to be able to leave this legacy? Is there anything else on that subject? Yeah, I mean, for me, I have to overcome my own feeling of feeling overlooked uh, and leave my children well and the reality of walking in godly confidence. Um, I, I actually am teaching a study on the book right now. And I was having a moment um, before it started and I was feeling pretty insecure and struggling. And my, my daughter looked at me and said, mom, I know this is for the women, but really it's for God. Oh. And of course I started crying because she was absolutely right. Um, and so I think um, being vulnerable about how hard this can be in my life um, is teaching her um, how to walk it out in hers. I hope oh, so, at least. I'm sure it is. And the fact that she even preached preached back to her mom at that young age, it means it's taking. So you're doing a great job, Whitney. How, <laughs> do, how does your life embody God's welcome to your world? Hmm. I always want to be someone who sees others well. And I hope that that is evident in my life. And I always want to um, be someone who remembers that Jesus became lowly. Uh, I'm lowly. We're all lowly. We're all in the same playing field. And and so when, uh, the world likes to rank us. We like to rank us. We like to be better than other people. Um, but the truth is Jesus is the great leveler. And I always want to welcome people in that way that we're just, we're just all imperfect together. And, um, and that's okay. <laughs> that's a good thing. What do you mean that Jesus is the great leveler? Yeah, because at the feet of Jesus, right, there's no great, 
human being. <laughs> we're all just nothing in the feet of Jesus. And yet we're all something at the feet of Jesus because he makes us that, um, because he lifts us to a place of, wow, just like inheritance with him that we don't deserve. And so I think he levels everyone out. John Ortland said, God relentlessly pursues us because all he's ever wanted was to be with us. And if I remember that, mm -hmm. that he is relentlessly pursuing me, I do feel seen and I feel loved even when I've blown it <clears throat> once again, or felt imperfect or felt pride or whatever my sin was at that particular moment. Whitney, you've been a delight and a great encouragement. We will be giving away a copy of Overlooked uh, this week. So leave a comment, uh, share this podcast with a friend. I really would appreciate it. And leave, leaving um, whatever you call those things, a review. Yeah, that would be helpful, not for my pride, but for the whole podcast world to know this message that God sees you and he has a great uh, purpose for your life. And if you're feeling a little badly today, I hope you felt better just hearing Whitney's story. And Whitney, thank you so much. Was there anything else you wanted to add? No, just thank you for having me. I'm so happy to get to share with your audience. Thank you so much. Until next time, think about your legacy, the one God has called you to live all for heaven's sake. I would love to speak at your next Christian Women's event. See my keynotes and retreat series, as well as the show notes from today's broadcast at welcomeheart.com. Thanks for coming. You're always welcome here.